You guys, it's so good to see you. I know that um, a lot of our family um, is gone because of the holidays, but man, uh, it's always a blessing to come into this place and just see you all and especially hear you worshiping. I'm just so grateful for a church that loves to worship Jesus and you see his value, you see his worth, um, and you express it in the way you sing to him. I was just sitting back there. And I was so overwhelmed hearing you sing, isn't he wonderful, uh, awesome Savior that he is. And um, so I'm just so grateful for you. If you're new here, um, I just want to give you a little background of what we've been doing. Uh, we are in the middle of this series called The Life of a Jesus Follower, where we're kind of getting to the bottom line of what it means to follow Jesus. Because a lot of people have different opinions of what it means to follow Jesus and and we want to see what's in the Bible. What does it mean to truly follow Jesus? And the first week that we talked about this, I asked you guys, who wants to be a, a good follower of Jesus? Who wants to follow Jesus with all their hearts? And I, I think I remember almost all of you raised your hands. And some of you have questions, which is awesome. Some of you guys are trying to figure this out. That's totally awesome. But for those who want to follow Jesus, um, the next question that you have to answer is this. Uh, what does the life of Jesus really look like, okay? If you want to follow him, you got to know what his life looks like and what it's all about before you can follow him. And we talked about how the life of Jesus really is all about what? Relationships. When you look at his life, you know, a lot of people uh, in Christianity even try to make following Jesus about rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, um, and, and that's not what it's about, they try to make it about what you know, if you know the right things, and knowledge is important, doing the right things is important, but it falls so short of the life of a true Jesus follower that, that you can't describe it like that. The life of Jesus, if you look in the New Testament, is all about relationships, and three key relationships he came to invest in. Number one, a relationship with his father. He had a relationship in the upward dimension with his heavenly father. You see Jesus going away and spending nights, entire nights sometimes, praying to his father. He says, everything I hear from the father, that's what I speak to you. Everything I see him do, that's what I'm doing. He had a, a, a robust relationship with his heavenly father. And then he also had a relationship with his disciples. And, and we're calling that a relationship with his spiritual family. He had a spiritual family. He wasn't a lone ranger Christian. He had a, even Jesus, the son of God, God Almighty, had people around him that he was investing in, but that also encouraged him. And so we ought to have that as well. And then he had a relationship with the lost world. He didn't come here uh, just to be served, it says. He came to serve others, even though he deserves to be served. He, he came to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. He, it says he came to get, seek and save those who are lost. And so the three relationships with the Father, with his spiritual family, and those who are far from God. And if you look at his entire life, you can literally read all the Gospels, and every single verse will f fall into one of those buckets, one of those relational buckets. Uh, you, can, you can organize Jesus' life like that. And so if Jesus' life was all about relationships, we ought to be all about relationships if we want to follow Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about. So uh, the last couple weeks, we've been talking about relationship with our spiritual family. With the weeks before that, we talked about our relationship with our Heavenly Father and spending time in His Word and in prayer. 
And now we've been talking about spending time with those who are far from God. Why? So that we can bring them and introduce them to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ transforms lives. Jesus Christ is the reason for everything existing. Jesus Christ is the best thing that could happen to anyone. And so we've been talking about that. Now, I had been preparing and thinking about a message, and I'm just going to be honest, and, and this is how it goes sometimes. And Ron will know... Uh, I'll affirm this, and Josh, and anyone who preaches, that sometimes you have a nice little plan, an organized message you're going to give, and God just comes in and says, I want you to say something else, okay? And that's what happened. I know exactly the time, 7.45 last night, because I was reviewing my message, and I made a mistake of, I said, you know what, I'm going to listen to one more message to see if I can pick up any little things and I did that and and something that this this preacher said touched my heart so deeply that I could not preach what I was going to preach not that it was wrong it was biblical it was good but I feel like God wants to tell us something really important and it's really encouraging because I believe that God wants to tell us this because he has plans for us he wants to use us he wants to use us and and we talk about this all the time I'm not the senior pastor of this church who's the senior pastor Jesus. So he gets to make the calls, right? He gets to direct us and he gets to jump in and say, hey, those aren't the plans I want. I want you to do this. And I have to say, let's do it, Lord. You're going to have to help me though. Okay. I'm not that good on the spot. So pray for me as I preach this, but um, I want to be real and honest uh, about what the Lord is doing in our hearts. And it's a little bit of a, of a correction. Okay. It's a little bit of a correction for our church. And so if you're new here, forgive me that this is the first message you're going to get. You're going to get a, a, a correction message for Catalyst Church. It's a family talk, but we hope that you'll take something away from it and that, that you'll feel the spirit of it. Um, so um, I believe that the Lord is calling us back as a church, as Catalyst Church, to what he intended when he said, go and make disciples. Because it's been kind of skewed, and even in our minds. Francis Chan tells a story of when he first was a church planter. And he wanted to do the best that he could do. Just like every church planter, every church planter aspires to do great things for God. That's how I started. I want to do great, and I still want to do great things for God. I want God to use me to do great things. I want to honor and glorify him. So he said, uh, you know, just like typical church planners, he went to these conferences and he went to listen to speakers. And one of the speakers that he went to listen to was talking about uh, his Christmas program. And I just thought it was interesting that we're having Christmas here pretty soon. But anyway, he's talking about his Christmas program and talking about all the great things that they were planning to do. It's a big church. They're doing a big production, advertising everywhere. And he's talking about how they're advertising and spending a lot of money because what they want to do, they want to do with excellence because they want to offer God the best. And and he thought, man, that's great. And I, I agree with that. And then he was talking about how the people in his church were sacrificing and serving and doing so much. In fact, he thought that the average person involved in this Christmas program was spending at least 15 hours a week preparing for this Christmas outreach. And that's awesome. He says, man, people are sacrificing. They're giving their all to the Lord. And we want to do that because on the day that we have this outreach, we want, to, we want to do it just great and represent God well to the community. And that's all great. 
And Francis Chan was sitting there and he was just awe-inspired, right? Because he hoped to have a church like that someday. But one thought just kept nagging at him. And if you know Francis Chan, this is, this is so him. Just to kind of look at things from the other perspective. And so he went up to the pastor afterwards. He says, man, I love everything that you're, you're saying. I hope that one day I'll have a church that makes an impact like that. He says, but can you help me process through something that I've been thinking about? He says, what if, like the people, instead of investing 15 hours in this program, invested those 15 hours a week building relationships with the people in their neighborhoods, at work, and, and inviting them over for dinner, and then sharing their faith with them, would that not be more effective or fruitful? And it'd be for free, right? And the pastor said, well, absolutely. Then he said this but they aren't willing to do that. What do you think about that statement? They aren't willing to do that. And what he was really saying is that, you know, they're willing to dress up like a reindeer, you know, and, and act like a tree and all these things and present that, but they're not willing to invest in people and seek them out just like Jesus was seeking and saving the lost. Here's what God convicted me about. Two things. First of all, I've thought like that pastor. And I was so convicted because I believe hearing it from Francis Chan, the comment and justification that the pastor made that he was talking to is off the mark. And I'll tell you why for two reasons. Number one, because we as a church, and especially all of us leaders, we do not have the right to edit and recreate Jesus' strategy simply because we think people aren't willing to go out and share. If Jesus says, go and make disciples, we do not have the right to say, I'm going to edit that plan because most people won't do it. And so here's the way we do the Great Commission. And number two, I believe that for leaders, you cannot say that. Because as pastors, leaders, elders, it's on us to lead and encourage and teach and equip the people not to appease their lack of courage and lack of willingness. I need to ask for your forgiveness, church. Because I've led like that before. And God convicted me. When I've been preparing these messages about reaching out and sharing, I try to make it palatable. And I believe that doesn't honor God. Because what he's calling us to do is very specific. And so I believe that God is inspiring us to get back on track with him. Is it scary? Yeah. The last thing I want to do to serve Jesus is go to a stranger and talk to them about Jesus. Why? Because it's so dang scary. What if I get rejected? What if I lose a friendship? What if I say something wrong? It's, it's scary. 
But have you noticed that in, in, the, in the Bible, when something was scary, especially when it came to sharing the gospel, what did the disciples do? I'm jumping around, but hopefully, Josiah, you can come with me. It's one of the last verses. In Acts verse, chapter 4, verse 29, it says that two disciples, Peter and John, were whipped and imprisoned for their faith, and they were threatened. And they go back to the church that was meeting in a house that was praying. And they talk to them. They said, we've been threatened. And what do they do? They begin to pray. Verse 29 says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. This is at the end of their prayer. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. When fear gripped them about the commission that Jesus had sent them on, what was their response? It wasn't to recreate an evangelistic strategy. It was to pray, to, say, to talk to one another and say, guys, guys, I'm afraid. They're threatening us. I don't know if I can do this. Let's pray for boldness. Paul. At the end of Ephesians, we think of Paul as being probably the boldest, most courageous Christian that ever walked this earth other than Jesus, right? We think that he is the man, and even he at times had to pray for boldness. The end of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, he's telling them, hey, this is what I want you to do, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. So he's telling him, pray, 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 pray. And then he adds this little personal piece. He says, can I ask you a favor? He says, and also pray for me. Okay, Paul, sure. What do you need us to pray about? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Man, even Paul, he says, you know, there, there's, there had to be times. Paul was a human being, just like us. There had to be times when he's like, man, I'm so tired of getting beaten, getting persecuted, getting chased out of town, hated by everyone. And yet his response to that wasn't, well, maybe I should retire early. I've already reached half of Asia. His response was like, man, this is hard. This brings fear. It's scary. Would you pray for me? That's how we respond to the fear that we have. And so, do we adjust our plans that Jesus has for us? Or do we start praying, say, Lord, fill me with your boldness? Now, what does this mean to us? And pay attention to this part because this is so important. Does it mean that we don't do events? We just finished doing a Halloween event out here. We spent a couple grand. We cooked for people. We passed out candy? Does it mean that we shouldn't do that? Does it mean that the only valid form of evangelism is people sharing in their homes and on the streets and at work? 
Is that the only way that it counts? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. There's a danger here in thinking that, that the only way to do it is this way and that every other church that's doing it this way through events and through activities is wrong. And, and a lot of us can get puffed up with pride and start criticizing other churches and other Christians that don't do it the way we do. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, in the Bible, God uses all kinds of different means to bring people to himself, in, 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 including events, including big activities. One of the patterns of Jesus' ministry, what he would do is he would serve people, and he would do it in a miraculous fashion. For example, he'd feed thousands of people, right? He was meeting their physical needs. He would heal those who were sick for decades and, and years, and, and he would raise people from the dead. He would cast out demons. He, he, he ministered to the physical needs of the people because he had compassion. So many times before Jesus does anything miraculous and healing and, and serving others, it says that he, his heart was filled with compassion, and so he ministered to their physical needs. But guess what? He did that in order that it might lead to people saying, who is he? Why is he doing that? It served as a sign. In, Jesus, in John 10, verses 37 through 38, Jesus is talking to the skeptics, and the skeptics are talking to him, and they're doubting him, and they're saying that he does things by the power of demons, and they're dissing his ministry. And in verse 37, he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. If you look at the works and you don't think they're from God, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He says, look at my works. They prove that what I'm saying is true. You get that connection? In Matthew 5.16, he says, in the same way, and he's talking to his disciples, this is to us, let your light Church, Catalyst Church, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Your light is the way you work. It's, it's your works, your acts of kindness, your acts of love, your acts of radical generosity. Those are your works. That is the light. And it says when people see that, they're going to start glorifying your Father in heaven. Because hasn't it happened to you that you do something unexpected, you're radically generous to somebody, maybe someone who's grieving, you go over, you send them flowers, and, and they weren't expecting it at all. You serve someone who's in need, and they say, why are you doing this? That's what it's supposed to do. And so it's not about just you going out there. It's about both and. Does that make sense? It's like, yes, there, you, you see, what I, what, I, what I think has happened over the years is that people, in, just like you, just like me, in their desire to fulfill the Great Commission and to reach people for Jesus, have come up with all kinds of wonderful, creative ways. Some of you guys are so creative. They've used what God's given them. Some people that I know of that have reached so many people for Jesus have started a skate ministry. Why? Because they love skating, Right? Um, they, they do fun things with the youth, and it attracts them, and then they preach the gospel. They, it's an amazing thing. People get so creative, and those are wonderful, wonderful things. And get, guess what? Those things have been so fruitful. 
we've seen so many hundreds of people come to Jesus because of the events that we have done. They're amazing events. And in fact, I'm a product of one of those. I came to know Jesus at an Amway convention. Someone decided, hey, everybody's here for business. One Christian said, why don't we just preach the gospel to them? They're here. And I, I came to know Jesus through an Amway convention. I know that Ron came to know Jesus through a Billy Graham crusade, a huge event with, with musicians and concerts and things so that people would come and be attracted and say, what is all this stuff? And then they preach the gospel. And so I'm not saying that that's wrong. Do not let Satan poison your mind and get you critical about that. But here's where we've gone wrong. And this is the correction that I believe Jesus wants to make in our church. There are two unintended errors that have happened. Number one, because of the fruitfulness of all of these events and methods, individual Christians, you and I, have dismissed our responsibility to proclaim the gospel ourselves. Does that make sense? Because these things are so prevalent, because the church has so much money to put on these amazing events, because they are working, we have unintentionally dismissed our personal responsibility that Jesus has called me, Emmanuel Sanchez, to go out and preach the gospel. And that's, I, I believe it's unintended, but it's an error that needs correcting We've outsourced it, too. We've said, you know what? It's the pastor's job. We pay him, right? He's supposed to preach the gospel. I'm just going to bring some people to church. No, it's your responsibility, too. And then the second error that needs correcting is because the success of these evangelistic events, leaders like me and our elders, we've dismissed our responsibility to train and equip people to go out and share the gospel. So we don't do it with as much passion and vigor. And again, yes, we can invite, we can serve, we can do all of these amazing things, but we got to remember that we have been called. Each of us individually, we have a mandate. Jesus Christ looks at you individually and says, I want you, I want you to go. I want you to go. It's clear in the scripture. Mark 16, 15 says this, and he said to them, what? And who is he talking to? The 70, 70 disciples, maybe more than that. Disciples that Jesus made. He says, I want you, all of my disciples, all of you who, who claim to be Jesus followers, I want all of you go into all the world and what? And proclaim or preach the gospel to the whole creation. Do you know that preaching isn't just for pastors on Sunday mornings at this pulpit? Preaching is for you to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts 1.8, Jesus is saying, okay, here's the plan. I'm about to leave, and here's what I want you to do. Final instructions before Jesus leaves. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we have this Holy Spirit that empowers us to do this. This is a whole nother sermon for you that we don't have time, but you're not on your own. 
He's given you the power. He's given you the Spirit to help you. But he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be what? My event planners? No. My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You, you, each of you, go witness about me. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19, this is Paul writing decades later about what he thought his mission was and the mission of the church, and it's consistent with everything that Jesus is saying. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's like, Jesus brought us close to God again, and now we need to go and bring others to Christ, others to God again. And verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, bringing us back together, not counting their trespasses against them, and entreating us, entrusting us. He's entrusting something to us, the message of reconciliation. So when we talk about, like, man, Jesus' plan for the world to save the world is in this message, the gospel, the good news, which is a powerful message that can transform lives, like we talked about last week. He's entrusted the delivery of this message to us. We are his UPS. We are his FedEx all across the world. He's like, I want this message going everywhere. For all of us leaders, small group leaders, ministry leaders, elders, all of us who lead people here at Catalyst Church, we don't get to say it's too hard to train them. They don't want to do it. In fact, I really believe that that's a lie that the enemy has put in our hearts. I really believe that all of you, just in talking to you, you love Jesus. I know. I know you want to get his message. You, probably you just don't know how. You've never been challenged. You've never been taught the word of God. But I believe that you do want to. But we don't get to use that as an excuse as leaders and saying, no, yeah, they probably won't do it. Let's just do an event. It's a lot easier. We can control it. Two, three people will do this big thing. The Bible's crystal clear. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? These are leaders in the church. These are leadership gifts. To equip the rest of the saints for what? For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You know who the evangelists are? You. The carriers of the message, you. The teachers, you. And our job is to equip you to do that. So here's the main point of this all. And thank you for staying with me. I know this isn't an easy message, but here's the point. There's, there are many wonderful ways to invite people into a relationship with Jesus, but there's one main responsibility for all believers. We can participate in the Great Commission in a lot of different ways, but don't forget that you have one specific mandate and responsibility. One, to be prepared and to go and share. Everything else, these concerts that are happening, these evangelistic crusades, the events that we put together in church, that's like frosting on the cake. That's extra. That's like, oh, sweet. I can use that too. 
But the point is that you need to be ready. Jesus gave me this this verse, and it just summarized everything. It's 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always, church, always, Catalyst Church, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What's the call here? Honor Jesus, and when we honor him, we hold him holy, we obey his commands, which means that we are prepared. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to defend your faith? Are you prepared to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if someone should ask you? And, and this, by the way, is why events and church is, falls short. Because what are you going to do if someone says, you know what, man, I, I've been thinking about, which these, are, these things happen. I'm thinking about taking my life. I don't know what to do. I've lost hope. And you're there. And you're a Christian. And you know that Jesus gives hope. What are you supposed to say? You know what, in three months, my church is doing this awesome Christmas program. Would you want to come? Even in five days, we have church. Do you want to come with me to church? That's a good thing to do. But how? you know what God wants to do? He's like, Manny, share right there what I've done in your life. Share the good news of the gospel and watch me transform that person right then and there. He wants to use you. He wants you to be prepared to give a defense and a reason That word reason means well-organized, thoughtful, persuasive explanation of the gospel. Have you ever studied to be able to share the gospel? And it's not all on you. Like I said, as your pastor, it's my responsibility to make sure that you have the opportunities to learn. There will be times in your life, and I believe that as you get ready and as you take this seriously, God will give you opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel with people. And guess what? You're going to share. Some will say no. Some will reject you like you fear. But some will be transformed before your very eyes. Some will have such a radical change that it will change you forever. That's what my wife and I have experienced in the planning of this church. One of the greatest joys, in spite of all the hardships and difficulties and all the times we've wanted to quit and doing all the one thing is like, yeah, but people need to hear about Jesus. And do you remember that person? Do you remember what happened there? It's unbelievable. God wants to do miracles through you. So what does this mean for us? What do we do? I want to lead our church in a time of repentance. And if God's like tugging at your heart, I'm not, don't, don't do this like if you don't feel it. It's okay. But if, if you're like me and you were gripped by the fact that, you know what, Lord, I've just kind of dismissed my responsibility. And I, I just kind of have ignored that part of it. I, you know, I just haven't done it. I've been disobedient. I I, want to lead us in a time of repentance. And repentance just means turning. 
turn away from that and say, God, I'm going to embrace what you have for me. And I'm going to pray that you help me learn how to share my faith. I'm going to pray for boldness. I'm going to pray for opportunities. And I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. And let me tell you, it's our responsibility as a church to help you get ready. And so this isn't the last time we're going to talk about this. In fact, God has made it clear that he wants us to be the theme of next year for our church. And in my mind, I envision each and every one of you learning the gospel and sharing it with at least one person in your life, some of you for the very first time. And then we're going to see people come to know Jesus. And then we're going to baptize them. And then we're going to disciple them. We're going to see God do his miraculous work through Catalyst Church. Amen. So let's just spend a few minutes right now and um, just between you and God. Where are you at, you know, with, with, uh, with evangelism, with, with being a witness? Have you, have you kind of dismissed it? Maybe fear has gripped you. And I'm not saying, like, feel so guilty about it. Just say, God, I've been scared. Be honest with him. He's not condemning you. He resists the proud, those who aren't willing to admit, but he accepts and gives grace to the humble. So if it's fear that's been holding you back, if it's just been laziness, if it's been too much self-centeredness, like for me, sometimes I get so self-centered, I have so many things going on that I, I don't have, you know. For some of you, it may even be like, Lord, I have so many burdens in my life that I, I can't even begin to think about that. And that's okay, just, just he's going to meet you wherever you're at. And so just bring that to him and say, God, I, I, I'm not even listening to this message to do something because I have a hundred different things that I need help with. And maybe your prayer is like, Lord, help, help me know how to do this and, and, and lessen my burden. You know, help me, Lord, so that I can be free to share. Do a work in my heart. Wherever you're at, just deal with the Lord. And then I'm going to pray. And then um, I have one more point of application for everybody. And then we're going to go into a time of communion. Amen. So spend some, some time right now. And repentance and humility, asking God to reinvigorate a passion for the loss and for his mission in your life. Go ahead.
Father, we just come before you humbly, and we thank you, Father, for your word. And first of all, we thank you for everything that you've done in our hearts. You've saved us, Lord. Many of us were saved because of the boldness and courage of someone willing to share with us. Many of us were brought to Jesus because someone stepped out of their comfort zone. And we heard the gospel for the very first time or for the millionth time, and we responded because your spirit worked in us. And Lord God, for some reason, we've just kind of um, stayed away from things that are scary, that are uncomfortable, God. We, I just confess, Lord, that I seek comfort all the time. I don't like to be uncomfortable, Lord. And yet, the Christian life requires stepping out of our comfort zone. The Christian life requires courage. Without it, we can't live for you, Lord. We can't serve you. We can't follow you. It takes courage to, to ask for forgiveness when we've wronged somebody. It takes courage to stand up for the weak when, when they're being oppressed. It takes courage to love someone that is unlovely. It, the whole Christian life requires courage and boldness. and So we can't just give in to, to these impulses, God. And, and I just know that, that you've selected this message for Catalyst Church because you want to use each person here you know they're receptive to you, Lord, and they're receptive to your word. And so I ask, Lord God, that, that you would help us. We can't do this on our own, and this message is not meant to browbeat, to make people feel guilty or ashamed. It's just meant to expose the truth and maybe a place where we've been deceived a little bit. And to invite us into this great adventure with you, Lord Jesus, of being a part of saving the world. What a mission. What a thing to be a part of. And Lord, like we talked about last week, you, you have so much joy for those who participate. Those who are in the game, Lord God. Those who overcome their fears. I want to pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters that as they turn to you and as they repent and as we all admit our shortcomings, Lord God, that we would sense your pleasure because we've come clean, because we've come humbly to you. And Lord, for some of us, it literally seems impossible that we would ever overcome this. It is terrifying beyond belief. And I'm grateful that we get to admit that because, Lord God, when you transform us and when you change us, it's going to be miraculous. And we're going to look back one day and say, God definitely did that because it wasn't me. There's no way I would have done that on my own. I know that there's people here that, um, that have such a harvest waiting for them a harvest of people that are going to respond to the gospel as they share. 
I know that there's people that are going to grow, that are going to just be filled with so much confidence and joy because they've overcome their fear. I, I just know that so many people are going to learn and, and, and just be delighted to be walking in step with you in this area of obedience. And so I pray, Father, that nothing would hinder that. I pray, Lord Jesus, for our church, that you would keep us focused on the right thing. Lord God, we don't want to play church. We want to be the church. And the church of Jesus Christ is one who abides with their father, who connects with their spiritual family, but also shares the good news, shares what we've been given to the rest of the world. We're not a holy huddle, Lord God. We're a people that are sent, a sent people to go do your mission in this world. Lord, um, as I've admitted and repented, just even last night, Lord God, I, I could feel the excitement building in me as I, as I think about the people who you're putting around me to share my faith with and, and um, just thinking about how I can reach people for you and, and brainstorming with you and asking you for help. And it's just been invigorating, God. And I just pray for the same thing for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Pray, Lord God, that you would do a mighty work through the people at Catalyst, Lord God. Do the work in us first and then do it through us because we want to follow you. I want to follow you completely. We love you so much, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 One more thing. So in order for us to begin sharing the gospel, you need to know the gospel, right? And so um, I have these handouts. We're going to talk about this in coming weeks, and even next year, like, we're going to have trainings. We're going to we're going to give you opportunities to learn and to ask questions and trial and error. Like my wife this morning, she was like, I don't even know how to get into a conversation, um, you know, from a normal conversation. Like I'm having coffee with somebody, say, hey, so, you know, how are your kids and everything? By the way, are you going to heaven or hell? Like, is that, is that how we do it? I'm like, yeah, so we're going to train that. We're going to have an opportunity to ask these questions and to finally discuss it and discuss overcoming our fears and things like that. And so that's, that's something that we're going to plan for next year. But in the meantime, here's some homework. Ron and, uh, and um, Jason, not Joseph, Jason, are going to be passing out... Um, just some sheets there. And, and by the way, here's what you do with it. You go home and you look at it, look up the verses. Uh, maybe it's not the perfect way that you would share the gospel, but it's got the main components, which is God is holy. We're sinners. We're separated from God because of our sin. And God loves us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins and to bring us back together with God so that we can spend eternity with him. He rose again to confirm that what he did was effective. That's the message of the gospel. It's so simple. I just shared it in 10 seconds. So it's got all the components in there. Look up to the scriptures. Um, maybe start putting it in your own words. And, and in the few weeks... When we start talking about it, you'll, you'll have this on your mind. And then the last thing I'm going to ask you to do before we go into communion is to pray that God gives you one to three names. One to three names that you will commit to praying in 2020 that they come to know Jesus, that they respond to the gospel. And you're going to pray for them every day. Pray for them every single day. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your car dash, wherever you're going to remember. And, and the prayer doesn't have to be long. It's just, Lord, touch them with your gospel. Help them to see their need for Jesus. Amen. That's it.
every single day pray for their salvation. And then as we put some of these things into practice, then you'll have some opportunities to do what God's calling us to do. Amen? We all good? All right.